Well, if you would, turn to Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. We've really had two themes this morning in our worship, and it has been uh, the theme of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work in our life, and then the idea of us being crucified, and as Ethan's saying, being crucified with Christ. And hopefully this morning we're going to see in this text how those two things come together, those two concepts come together. Now for us, as just as human beings in general, we love to be free, right? We love to be able to not have anybody telling us what to do. We love the fact that we love whenever we have a situation where no one's in charge of me. I can just do whatever I want to do. What's always bad, though, is whenever you see someone use their freedom as a justification for why I'm able to do something to you that I shouldn't. Um, If someone blocks you, and parks behind you, pulls in, and then you can't get out of a parking spot. And you get out and you say to them, like, what are you doing? Why are you parking here? And they say to you, well, come on, man, it's a free country, right? And, you say, and you're like, well, what is, but what does that have to do with you parking behind me? Because <laughs> see, now I've lost my ability to get out and do what I need to do. What we find in the book of Galatians, what Paul found in Galatia, and in the church there, were folks who were struggling to understand their relationship to the law of God and to the freedom they now have in Christ. Let's read and see what he says here about it. For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We're going to stop there and then finish our text as we go through the sermon. But let's pray together. Well, Father, as we consider your word this morning, our prayer is that you would help us, Lord. You'd help us by your Holy Spirit to understand what you're telling us here this morning. You'd help it not just uh, make itself at home in our heads, but also in our hearts, that we would understand and desire to live this out. Lord, we know that you've given us freedom in Christ if we are in Christ. But help us to live as those who are truly walking by the Spirit and who are not being controlled by the flesh. And even now, would your Holy Spirit be guiding us into truth? And Lord, would you keep our flesh, our sinful human nature that remains until we're glorified in heaven, would you keep it at base so that we may hear and understand your word? Convict us where we need conviction. Encourage us where we need encouragement. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Church, our aim, above all things, with one another, and we spoke about this last week, and uh, if I'm honest, I didn't actually intend to get into verses 13, 14, and 15. I, I just felt like I should talk about 16 through 26 this morning. But then what happens when you study, and if you study right, is that you're going to discover that, well, some things go together, and 16 through 26 isn't going to make a lot of sense if I don't have 
the, the paragraph leading up to it. So for me, I wasn't planning on this, but here it is. See, our aim as a church is love, to love one another. Jesus says that people will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. He says here, we've become free. Free from the curse of the law. And we have to understand something. He's not saying that the law itself is a curse, but that there is a curse that comes from the law that is this. If you try to make yourself righteous by keeping the law, if you try to say, I'm going to make myself righteous by keeping one aspect of the law. And for the church in Galatia, they were trying to keep one aspect of the law. They were very concerned about circumcision. And they said, if we can just be circumcised, if we can make sure that all these men who come into the church make sure they get circumcised, then we're good. But Paul is saying this. If you're going to try to make that your righteousness, you have to keep every single part of the law for righteousness, not just that one piece. See, we are free from the curse of the law, but unfortunately, so often we take that freedom and we just run with it. We say, well, I can do whatever I want under any circumstances, and this is my, I have Christian liberty to do that. But our freedom isn't from those standards of the law, but it's from using the law as a means of righteousness. He says that the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. To love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the entirety of the law concerning our relationship with one another. Right? Jesus says that we should love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. And that is the great commandment. But as he speaks about this here, he's saying, listen, this is all of the law regarding you and me and how we interact with one another. I love you the way I would want to love myself. But then verse 15, he says, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Now this is heavy because, see, you understand what he's saying. Whenever we go and we say that my freedom, my liberty in Christ, my, I can do whatever I want, what that often leads to, and what we talked about some last week, is that we end up biting and devouring one another. When we talk about someone because they don't do things the way that we do things, we're taking a bite out of them, out of their reputation, out of our relationship with them and their relationship with one another's. And every time we do that, we take a bite out of it, time after time again. And you know that if you're like me and you get, you get started eating something, right? And I'm like, I take one bite, I take two bites, all of a sudden it's gone, where did it go? Right? That's what it is for me. And all of a sudden, for us, we can take bite after bite out of someone, and all of a sudden, where did they go? They're not even a part of our church anymore. They've gone. We've destroyed them. If we bite and devour one another, watch out, or we'll be consumed. See, what happens is that we turn on each other. Then once we start biting and devouring, we actually, well, you're going to bite me, I'm going to bite you. And all of a sudden, everyone's eat up, and everyone's just destroyed. But our aim, church, is love. See, this is the aim of the law, and this is why I would even say and argue, and people disagree on this, but I would say that for God's moral law, this is what we're aiming to do. We should still be aiming to keep God's moral law because it is love towards God and love towards others. But if we want to succeed in loving our neighbor as ourselves, we must do this. And this is our main idea this morning. It's taken right from verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. So our aim is love, church. We, we meet that aim by the power of the Spirit, not by the power of the law. 
See, these two, two contrasting ideas are put up here. And it's spirit and flesh, and you would think it would be spirit and law. And we're going to get to that in a second, why he goes spirit and flesh. When Martha read it this morning, um, she read from translation, and it was fine, that said um, your sinful nature, right? It talks about your sinful nature. Maybe your Bible says that. The idea here, though, is that your flesh, us being in the flesh, because we are saved through Christ, that we remain in the flesh, we're going to have these struggles. And see, the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. And the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. That's what he says here, right? The flesh desires what's against the Spirit. The Spirit desires what's against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. For us, every single person in this room has the flesh. You have a sinful nature. My hope is that every single person in this room has the Spirit, Though statistically, statistically speaking, realistically speaking, that probably is not the case. Because the Holy Spirit comes when you experience salvation. When He regenerates you and brings you to new life in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. When we don't have the Spirit, all we have is the flesh. But when we have the Spirit, see, the flesh doesn't get kicked out. We gain the Spirit, but the flesh remains. And so now for the Christian, there is a war, as Martha said, which is such a great example. There is this tug of war that happens inside of us every single moment of the day. There's opposition. But understand what's being said here. They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Understand this. There's a lot of folks today who say, I I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I had a very emotional time at camp, whatever it was. And they walk away and they say, I did all those things. I'm pretty sure I'm a Christian. But the desires of their heart never changed. And in fact, the desire remained the same. Because see, the desire up until that point that comes from the flesh was one of selfishness. That said, I want what I want. I want to be given as much comfort and ease as possible. And for so many folks, they come into church and they come down front and they think that they're making some profession of faith. And at the end of the day, what they're doing is just following that that line of self-serving. And what what it becomes is the get out of hell free card. And once again, at the end of the day, who is that about? No one but yourself. But listen, if you have been changed by Christ, your desires change. That doesn't mean they change perfectly. That doesn't mean that you only ever want to do the right thing. But that means that there is now a conflict because the Spirit has entered in. And now there is a conflict between the Spirit and the flesh. That's why it says that you don't do what you want. The Spirit causes you to want to do things differently. And the flesh is there saying, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're going to be about yourself today and not other people. Verse 18 says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, the law, it actually appeals to our flesh. This doesn't mean that the law is bad, right? In just a little bit, in a few weeks, we're going to be starting a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually talks about how he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He says that Until heaven and earth pass away, not one mark of the law is going to pass away. And we're going to dive into what does that mean? What is my relationship as a New Testament Christian to the law? But it doesn't pass away. The law is only bad whenever we look at it and we say, I'm going to make myself righteous by keeping that. 
And see, the thing about our flesh is it's selfish. It's prideful. And so the law appeals to our flesh because the law says, I can do this on my own. I can make God happy on my own. We have to understand something. I hope you understand, though. This is not what we would call Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a big problem in the early church. And we could, get into, we could spend hours here talking about what exactly Gnosticism is. But I'll say this, that one idea of those philosophies of the time that the early church dealt with was that the flesh was inherently bad. And that's why the translators who did uh, maybe your translation that says sinful nature picked a different word instead of the flesh because they don't want us to, under, to think that the flesh is inherently bad. See, the flesh isn't inherently bad. Before sin entered the world, God made man and woman as physical, tangible beings. One day, actually, and Jesus himself came and he came in the flesh and he resurrected into a fleshly body and now he sits in his flesh at the right hand of God. One day you're going to be glorified and resurrected into a body of flesh. So I want you to understand that this, the physicalness of ourselves is not inherently bad in and of itself, but it's the fact that it has been corrupted by sin. So understand that, but understand this, that the law, it appeals to our pride, and it says you don't need to rely on anyone but yourself. It appeals to the flesh and says you can do it on your own. Now Paul is trying to let us know, he's trying to let the church in Galatia know how to live a life, or what it looks like to live a life with the flesh in control versus the spirit in control. And he wants to compare those two to one another. So church, as we walk through this, our aim is love, but it's love by the power of the spirit, not the power of the law. So first, though, he goes and he shows us, here's what it looks like when you're living in the power of the law, the power of the flesh. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. It's a big list. If we were to break them down into a few categories here, and we won't walk through every single one, but it's this, sexual sin. Seeking power from other places. That's kind of what idolatry and sorcery is, right? Idolatry is saying, I'm going to worship this other God because I don't think that I can get enough power of what I want from the God of the Bible. Sorcery says the same thing. For those who practice witchcraft or try to, they're saying, I want to receive power from someone other than God and His Holy Spirit. And a lot of this is just anger and conflict, right? The selfish ambition, jealousy, envy. And then you get into to carousing, wild living, drunkenness, and anything similar, he says. For a lot of us, we look at some of these and say, well, that's not me at all. And I hope that you'll reconsider. And once again, when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that it's not about the fact, have you done it outwardly? It's the fact of, have you done it in your heart? Very many of these things are us. But here's the thing about all these. Let's say that you can, you, you can in full honesty say that none of these apply to you. I want you to understand that at the end of the day, it's not that this is the master list and there is nothing else. It's that every single one of these things are actions taken by the person who says, my desires, my wants, my wishes are priority. And everyone else and what they want and need falls below that. 
At the end of the day, the works of the flesh are selfishness, self-centeredness, pure and simple. And hear what he says. And this sends a shiver up my spine, and I hope it does for you too, because we need to take this seriously. He says, I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, this is verse 21, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now understand this. He doesn't say those of you who have practiced those things at one point will not inherit the kingdom of God, but he says those who do practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This isn't struggling with those things, right? Because he says that the Spirit gives you a new desire, and sometimes the flesh wins out. But he says those who practice such things. And my temptation, church, this morning is to blunt this and to say, to try to rein it in and not discourage you. But I want you to hear something. So much in our world today, people want to blunt the reality of sin, and I don't want to do that for you this morning. I want you to hear the fact that for you, if you are practicing these things, if you are practicing sexual immorality by having sex outside of the bounds of marriage, being promiscuous, if you are worshiping idols, and that's not just worshiping some little statue in your closet, right? But it's worshiping anything above God. If you hate other people, and you were telling people you hate them, if you're jealous, you have outbursts of anger, if everything you do is for your own selfish ambition, and what can I get out of this? Forget whoever it is that gets hurt by this. If you cause dissensions and factions, that's divisions. If you're envious, if you're drunken, if you're carousing or anything similar, anything selfish, I want you to understand that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I don't tell that to you because it makes me feel better because, church, those things are a struggle for every single one of us. But I know that the Holy Spirit right now is telling you, if you're here this morning and doing these things, this is where you're doing it. Please hear that warning. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it might be showing the reality that the Spirit of God is not within you, which means that you are not saved. But then we see the fruit of the Spirit. Not the works of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is something that grows. It comes from things, and it it just happens. You don't have to work it up. I can't make a fruit tree. I can't go out there and talk a fruit tree into producing fruit. It happens because it happens. There's something within it that causes fruit to be produced. And for us, there's fruit that comes from the Spirit. And the Spirit produces it in us. And it is a proof of the reality. And if we look at these fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, every single one of these compared to the works of the flesh are about selflessness. It is imitating Christ and saying, look at what Christ did. For everything he did, it was not about himself. Even when he came onto the earth, to the earth all that he did, he said, was for the glory of the Father and not himself. Now, here be one day he will be glorified. Make no mistake about that. He will be glorified. But on his, on, during his earthly life, he was the picture of selflessness. The fruit of the Spirit here is love. Love means that you are caring for other people more than you care about yourself. 
joy. Joy is saying that I know that maybe here, because you're saying joy is not happiness, right? And you probably heard that all throughout Sunday school and all kinds of sermons. Joy isn't happiness. Happiness is my circumstances are good, I'm good. Joy is my circumstances might be bad, but I'm joyful in spite of it. Peace says that the world's falling apart around me. People aren't treating me well, but I am at peace. Patience is that people aren't living life the way I think they should. My kids aren't learning how to obey me like I think they should. The person I'm discipling isn't being conformed to Christ as quickly as I hope they would. It's this church that I'm a part of aren't doing things the way I want them to. And I think this needs to change and that needs to change. And patience says, I can wait because this world is not all about me. Kindness and goodness is just being good to other people. Faithfulness says that I'm not going to quit whenever things get hard, even though it was in my best interest. Gentleness and self-control. I can keep a hold of myself and not have these outbursts of anger as we see under the works of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is selflessness compared to selfishness. Verse 24 says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's why we sang this morning about crucifying. I am crucified with Christ. If we belong to Christ Jesus, we have and are continuously crucifying our flesh with its passions and its desires. That means we're taking that, the, those desires, whatever it is, whatever is on this list or whatever the Holy Spirit has brought to your attention this morning, and we are looking at that thing and instead of saying, I really know that I shouldn't love money the way that I do, but I'm not going to crucify it today. I'm going to take this pet sin, I'm going to hide it, I'm going to take it home. I'm going to revel in it the rest of the week. I know that I shouldn't be in this relationship that is not glorifying you, God. And you say, and you felt the conviction of the Spirit this morning to crucify it. But you say, you know what, I'm going to take it and protect it. I'm going to go hide it. That's not what we're called to do. We are to give that sin no room in our life, to give it no say in our, not, our life, not to keep it around as a pet sin, even one that we feel like we're justified to pull out every once in a while. But we're to take that sin, and instead of hiding it, we are to put it to death every single day. Because understand that if we are not by the Spirit putting those sins to death, we may very well be showing that we're in danger of not inheriting the kingdom of God. Because we love that sin more than we love God. And that may very well mean that we don't have the Spirit living within us, producing the true fruit of the Spirit. To which you may be say this morning, but isn't that works righteousness? Isn't that legalism? Isn't that me doing something? No, it's not. It's aligning your acceptance in Christ with your obedience to Christ. So often we say, well, Christ has accepted me in all of my sin, and even though I'm sinning in this way, he has accepted me, and amen, that is true. You come to him with all of your sin, all of your rebellion, and he says, I will take it on the cross for you. 
But we have to, to align that acceptance in Christ with our obedience to Christ and to bring those two things together. We have to understand that sin's penalty was crucified in Christ on the cross. And that is the basis for our ability to put sin to death every single day. See, what we don't understand is this, that sin, these sins, these works of the flesh, have been defanged. They are a nuisance at best. They cannot kill you anymore if you are in Christ. All of its power has been taken and it can now be put to death. But understand that it is a smooth talker and it's going to do everything in its power to convince you to do otherwise. To say, listen, just don't do it too much. Just do it every now and then. Just go and party wildly every now and then. Just gossip about people and bite and devour them once in a while. As long as you're not looking at porn more than twice a year, you're good. Whatever it is. And your sin is going to just talk smoothly to you and say, convince you to not do anything with it. But church, that's not what we've been called to do. We've been called to crucify the flesh to nail it to the cross, and to leave it behind. And now, then, to keep in step with the Spirit. We keep on moving. See, whenever we crucify something, that cross doesn't roll with us. We take it to the cross, and we nail it on the cross, and then we keep on moving away from it. And that is the essence of repentance. And that's why he says to keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, verse 25, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Every step that we make, we're considering and saying, is this in line with what your Holy Spirit is convicting me to do? What he's leading me to do? The question is this, though. How do I keep in step with the Spirit? Because that's such a thing that's kind of hard to really understand. Because the Spirit's not here in front of us. We We can't see him. But we know that the word that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us says, this is the path I'm leading you on. This is the path of righteousness. Keep in step with me on that. If you're not reading the word, you're not going to be keeping in step with the Spirit. If you're not praying, you're not going to be keeping in step with the Spirit. Because see, for so many of us, and that feels like a weird thing to go and to pray and say, God, help me to stay in step with you. Help me to be doing the things you've called me to do. But if you haven't ever done that, I want to encourage you. Because one of those things where we can't hit that nail on the head perfectly. But what I've learned in my life is to say, God, I don't know exactly what it looks like to keep in step with your spirit, to be filled with the spirit, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, when he says, don't be drunk with wine, which the idea here is don't be controlled by that thing, but instead be controlled by the spirit. And a lot of us think that there's something mystical we have to do. But I would encourage you to consider this, that maybe the only thing you need to do And say, God, help me to be aligned with your spirit. Help every thought that I have be conformed to your Holy Spirit. Help every step that I take be conformed to your spirit and convict me if that's not the case. Well, maybe you're here this morning, and for you, you're not sure where you are. Maybe you know that you say, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a believer, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you say, "I I think I might be, like I have good thoughts about Jesus, I think he was an okay guy. But the question that I hope you'll consider this morning as you consider who you are and where you are is this. Has the Spirit given you new desires? 
This isn't a question of do I mess up sometimes? This isn't a question of do I fight and pull and am I pulling against the flesh by the power of the Spirit and sometimes I choose the wrong thing and I fail? That's not the question here. Because we're all going to struggle. We're all going to fall and fail. We've not reached perfection on this side of heaven. But for some of us, you've never actually felt anything differently. You've never had any other desires. You know that you are totally enslaved to your flesh. And that means then that you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God because you don't have the spirit that comes with salvation. And if that's you this morning, I hope that you're going to put your hope in Christ's crucifixion. Because see, if you are aiming to nail sins to some kind of cross in your own power, it is all in vain. Because you can only do it through the power of Christ's crucifixion and Christ's cross. I'm going to pray and then just in a moment we're going to be singing our final song, but I want to encourage you to do something this morning. I want you to consider for you, if you were living under the work of the flesh or the power of the Spirit. For every single one of us, I think it's, we, can, we can say, surely, that there are times where the flesh wins that tug of war, and, there's, and that's because we allow it to, and there's times where the Spirit wins that tug of war. And my hope and prayer is that for you this morning, as the Spirit has convicted you of certain things, that either at your seat or here at the altar, you'll come, you will be praying to God to do two things, to empower you by his spirit to crucify those things, whatever it is, whether it's on that list or not, to crucify those things, and secondly, to keep in step with the spirit, that his Holy Spirit, as you walk through every single day, would be leading you and guiding you when you want to pop off at somebody because they're hateful to you the Spirit would convict you and say, no, 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 no. This life isn't about you. So I want to encourage you to do that this morning. To come, and if you don't know Christ, to come and talk to me, and we'll talk as long as we need to. And I can talk to you after the service if you want to help you figure out what it means to truly be in Christ and to have the hope of salvation for eternity. And then, if you're a believer, that you would be coming this morning here or at your seat, praying that God would help you to crucify the flesh and to keep in step with the Spirit.